0: Chapter 26 of the Return of Dr. Fu Manchu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elaine Tweddle. The Return of Dr. Fu Manchu by Sax Romer. Chapter 26 The Fiery Hand. Smith walked ahead of me upstairs. He had snapped up the light in the hallway, and now he turned and cried back loudly, I fear we shall never get servants to stay here. Again I detected the appeal to a hidden audience, and there was something very uncanny in the idea. The house was now deathly still. The ringing had entirely subsided. In the upper corridor my companion, who seemed to be well acquainted with the position of the switches, again turned up all the lights, and in pursuit of the strange comedy which he saw fit to enact, addressed me continuously in the loud and unnatural voice which he had adopted as part of his disguise we looked into a number of rooms all well and comfortably furnished but although my imagination may have been responsible for the idea they all seemed to possess a chilly and repellent atmosphere i felt that to essay sleep in any one of them would be the merest farce that the place to all intents and purposes was uninhabitable that something incalculably evil presided over the house and through it all so obtuse was i that no glimmer of the truth entered my mind outside again in the long brightly lighted corridor we stood for a moment as if a mutual anticipation of some new event pending had come to us it was curious that sudden pulling up and silent questioning of one another because although we acted thus no sound had reached us a few seconds later our anticipation was realized from the direction of the stairs it came a low wailing in a woman's voice and the sweetness of the tones added to the terror of the sound i clutched at smith's arm convulsively whilst that uncanny cry rose and fell rose and fell and died away neither of us moved immediately my mind was working with feverish rapidity and seeking to run down a memory which the sound had stirred into faint quickness my heart was still leaping wildly when the wailing began again rising and falling in regular cadence at that instant i identified it during the time smith and i had spent together in egypt two years before searching for karamaneh i had found myself on one occasion in the neighbourhood of a native cemetery near to Bedra shaheen and now the scene which i had witnessed there rose up again vividly before me and i seemed to see a little group of black-robed women clustered together about a native grave for the wailing which was now dying away again in the gables was the same or almost the same as the wailing of those egyptian mourners the house was very silent again now my forehead was damp with perspiration and i became more and more convinced that the uncanny ordeal must prove too much for my nerves hitherto i had accorded little credence to tales of the supernatural but face to face with such manifestations as these i realized that i would have faced rather a group of armed dacoats nay doctor fu-manchu himself than have remained another hour in that ill-omened house. My companion must have read as much in my face, but he kept up the strange and to me purposeless comedy when he presently spoke. I feel it to be incumbent upon me to suggest, he said, that we spend the night in a hotel, after all. He walked rapidly downstairs and into the library and began to strap up the grip. After all! he said there may be a natural explanation of what we have heard for it is noteworthy that we have seen actually nothing it might even be possible to get used to the ringing and the wailing after a time frankly i am loath to go back on my bargain whilst i stared at him in amazement he stood there indeterminate as it seemed then come pierce he cried loudly i can see that you do not share my views but for my part i shall return to-morrow and devote further attention to the phenomena extinguishing the light he walked out into the hallway carrying the grip in his hand i was not far behind him we walked toward the door together and turn the light out pierce directed smith the switch is at your elbow we can see our way to the door well enough now in order to carry out these instructions it became necessary for me to remain a few paces in the rear of my companion and i think i have never experienced such a pang of nameless terror as pierced me at the moment of extinguishing the light for smith had not yet opened the door and the utter darkness of the gables was horrible beyond expression surely darkness is the most potent weapon of the unknown I know that at the moment my hand left the switch I made for the door as though the hosts of hell pursued me. I collided violently with Smith. He was evidently facing toward me in the darkness, for at the moment of our collision he grasped my shoulder as in a vice. "'My God, Petrie, look behind you,' he whispered. I was unable to judge to the extent and reality of his fear by the fact that the strange subterfuge of addressing me always as Pierce was forgotten— i turned in a flash never can i forget what i saw many strange and terrible memories are mine memories stranger and more terrible than those of the average man but this thing which now moves slowly down upon us through the impenetrable gloom of that haunted place was if the term be understood almost absurdly horrible it was a medieval legend come to life in modern london it was as though some horrible chimera of the black and ignorant past was become create and potent in the present a luminous hand a hand in the veins of which fire seemed to run so that the texture of the skin and the shape of the bones within were perceptible in short a hand of glowing fiery flesh clutching a short knife or dagger which also glowed with the same hellish internal luminance was advancing upon us where we stood not three paces removed what i did or how i came to do it i can never recall in all my years i have experienced nothing to equal the stark panic which seized upon me then i know that i uttered a loud and frenzied cry i know that i tore myself like a madman from smith's restraining grip don't touch it keep away for your life i heard but dimly i recollect that finding the thing approaching yet nearer i lashed out with my fists madly blindly and struck something palpable what was the result i cannot say at that moment my recollections merge into confusion something or someone smith as i afterward discovered was hauling me by main force through the darkness i fell a considerable distance onto gravel which lacerated my hands and gashed my knees then with the cool night air fanning my brow i was running running my breath coming in hysterical sobs beside me fled another figure and my definite recollections commence again at that point for this companion of my flight from the gables threw himself roughly against me to alter my course not that way not that way came pantingly not on to the heath we must keep to the road it was nayland smith that healing realization came to me bringing such a gladness as no words of mine can express nor convey still we ran on there's a policeman's lantern <clears throat> panted my companion they'll attempt nothing now I gulped down a stiff brandy-and-soda, then glanced across to where Nayland Smith lay extended on the long cane chair. "'Perhaps you will explain,' I said, "'for what purpose you submitted me to that ordeal. "'If you propose to correct my scepticism concerning supernatural manifestations, you have succeeded.' "'Yes,' said my companion musingly. "'They are devilishly clever, but we knew that already.' I stared at him fatuously have you ever known me to waste my time when there was important work to do he continued do you seriously believe that my ghost-hunting was undertaken for amusement really petrie although you are very fond of assuring me that i need a holiday i think the shoe is on the other foot from the pocket of his dressing-gown he took out a piece of silk fringe which had apparently been torn from a scarf and rolling it into a ball tossed it across to me smell he snapped I did as he directed, and gave a great start. The silk exhaled a faint perfume, but its effect upon me was as though someone had cried aloud, "'Karamina!' Beyond doubt the silken fragment had belonged to the beautiful servant of Dr. Fu Manchu, to the dark-eyed, seductive Karamina. Nayland Smith was watching me keenly. "'You recognize it, yes?' I placed the piece of silk upon the table, slightly shrugging my shoulders. "'It was sufficient evidence in itself,' continued my friend. "'But I thought it better to seek confirmation, and the obvious way was to pose as the newly see of the gables.' "'But, Smith,' I began, "'let me explain, Petrie. The history of the gables seemed to be susceptible of only one explanation. In short, it was fairly evident to me that the object of the manifestations was to ensure the place being kept empty. This idea suggested another.' and with them both in mind i set out to make my inquiries first taking the precaution to disguise my identity to which weymouth gave me the freedom of scotland yard's fancy wardrobe i did not take the agent into my confidence but posed as a stranger who had heard the house was to be let furnished and thought it might suit his purpose my inquiries were directed to a particular end but i failed to achieve it at the time i had theories as i have said and when having paid the deposit and secured possession of the keys i was enabled to visit the place alone I was fortunate enough to obtain evidence to show that my imagination had not misled me. You were very curious the other morning, I recall, respecting my object in borrowing a large brace and bit. My object, Petrie, was to bore a series of holes in the wainscoting of various rooms at the gables, in inconspicuous positions, of course. But my dear Smith, I cried, you are merely adding to my mystification. He stood up and began to pace the room in his restless fashion i had cross-examined weymouth closely regarding the phenomenon of the bell ringing and an exhaustive search of the premises led to the discovery that the house was in such excellent condition that from ground floor to attic there was not a solitary crevice large enough to admit the passage of a mouse i suppose i must have been staring very foolishly indeed for nayland smith burst into one of his sudden laughs a mouse i said petrie he cried With a brace and bit I rectified that matter. I made the holes I have mentioned, and before each set a trap baited with a piece of succulent toasted cheese. Just open that grip. The light at last was dawning upon my mental darkness, and I pounced upon the grip which stood upon a chair near the window and opened it. A sickly smell of cooked cheese assailed my nostrils. "'Mind your fingers,' cried Smith. "'Some of them are still set, possibly.' out of the grip i began to take mouse traps two or three of them were still set but in the case of the greater number the catches had slipped nine i took out and placed upon the table and all were empty in the tenth there crouched panting its soft furry body dank with perspiration a little white mouse only one capture cried my companion showing how well fed the creatures were examine his tail but already i had perceived that to which smith would draw my attention and the mystery of the astral bells was a mystery no longer bound to the little creature's tail close to the root with fine soft wire such as is used for making up bouquets were three tiny silver bells i looked across at my companion in speechless surprise almost childish is it not he said yet by means of this simple device the gables had been empty of occupant after occupant There was small chance of the trick being detected, for, as I have said, there was absolutely no aperture from roof to basement by means of which one of them could have escaped into the building. Then they were admitted into the wall cavities and the rafter from some cellar underneath Petrie, to which, after a brief scamper under the floors and over the ceilings, they instinctively returned for the food they were accustomed to receive, and for which, even had it been possible, which it was not, they had no occasion to forage. "'I too stood up, for excitement was growing within me. "'I took up the piece of silk from the table. "'Where did you find this?' I asked, my eyes upon Smith's keen face. "'In a sort of wine-cellar, Petrie,' he replied, under the stair. "'There is no cellar proper to the gables. "'At least no such cellar appears in the plans. "'But—' "'But there is one beyond doubt, yes. "'It must be part of some older building, "'which occupied the site before the gables was built.' One can only surmise that it exists, although such a surmise is a fairly safe one, and the entrance to the subterranean portion of the building is situated beyond doubt in the wine cellar. Of this we have at least two evidences, the finding of the fragment of silk there, and the fact that in one case at least, as I learned, the light was extinguished in the library unaccountably. This could only have been done in one way, by manipulating the main switch, which is also in the wine cellar. "'But Smith,' I cried, "'do you mean that Fu Manchu?' nayland smith turned in his promenade of the floor and stared into my eyes i mean that dr fu-manchu has had a hiding-place under the gables for an indefinite period he replied i always suspected that a man of his genius would have a second retreat prepared for him anticipating the event of the first being discovered oh i don't doubt it the place is probably extensive and i am almost certain though the point has to be confirmed that there is another entrance from the studio further along the road we know now why our recent searchings in the east end have proved futile why the house in museum street was deserted he has been lying low in this burrow at hampstead but the hand smith the luminous hand nayland smith laughed shortly your superstitious fears overcame you to such an extent petrie and i don't wonder at it the sight was a ghastly one probably you don't remember what occurred when you struck out at that same ghostly hand i seemed to hit something that was why we ran and i think our retreat had all the appearance of a rout as i intended that it should pardon my playing upon your very natural fears old man but you could not have simulated panic half so naturally and if they had suspected that the device was discovered we might never have quitted the gables alive it was touch and go for a moment but turn out the light snapped my companion wondering greatly i did as he desired i turned out the light and in the darkness of my own study i saw a fiery fist being shaken at me threateningly The bones were distinctly visible, and the luminosity of the flesh was truly ghastly. "'Turn on the light again,' cried Smith. Deeply mystified, I did so, and my friend tossed a little electric pocket-lamp onto the writing-table. They used merely a small electric lamp fitted into the handle of a glass dagger, he said, with a sort of contempt. It was very effective, but the luminous hand is a phenomenon producible by any one who possesses an electric torch. The gables will be watched?' At last, Petrie, I think we have Fu Manchu in his own trap. End of chapter 26 Recording by Elaine Tweddle, Stirling, Ontario